0: This is the Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to the Educated Home Buyer Live. With me, once again, Mr. Josh Lewis, our certified mortgage professional. Josh, welcome to the show.
1: I thought you were trying to chase me away. It was sort of like one of those, what's the little thing that makes the high-pitched noises and chases the pests away. So I was the pest and your music was the high-pitched noise.
0: Dude, I do things intentionally just to get a reaction out of you. I, I it's see that. Fantastic. I see that it works. Um, so here we are, uh, a new week. And this week we got some updates on existing home sales or maybe that was last week, don't remember. We got some updates on Case Shiller home prices showing that both home prices, existing um, contracts, as well as new homes are, you know, kind of moving up, if you will, um, in addition to some movements with interest rates. So tonight we're going to talk about interest rates. We're going to talk about inventory. We're going to talk about inflation, some economics, if you will. uh, And then we're going to answer your question. So Josh, where do you want to start? Um, you want to just go into the
1: data. We actually had, we had three reports this week. We had new home sales. We had Case Shiller. We had FHFA. And uh, we've been talking about them the last few weeks. Last month, if you remember, the numbers um, weren't the greatest. And we're, right before that, we had um, NAR's figures on the median home price that got a bunch of publicity. And we wanted to talk about why that wasn't the best data. So all the data this week looked great but the question we got to ask Jeb does that mean everything's
0: great is housing back to a bull market and going to be awesome yes so no no not not necessarily but let's look at the numbers and and see where it stands I've got the slides coming in now so uh we can we can do that here in just a moment um as they pop in there was an issue with my file so it's trying again Josh do you want to try you you corrupted your file there's a possibility that that took place there we go So let's do this. We are adding it to the stream and we are big heads on the screen because that's what you guys said you wanted. So, um, yeah, there we are. So Josh, what are we looking at?
1: So, um, signed contract 683,000 up from 623,000 the month before up from 648 in January 622 in December. So the highest number we've seen in six or seven months, median price was also up. So the change year over year last year, we're at 707,000 annualized new home sales and down to 683. So actually fairly similar to this point last year, which had started trending down from a very hot market. So Really, it's just another measure that tells you that the market is stabilized. Um, builders did a pretty darn good job. Unlike 2005, 2006, 2007, when they were just building like crazy right into an overheated market, um, they backed off. They've been slow playing things. We have a lot of permits, a lot of things under construction, but not a lot of completions coming to the market. Mm-hmm. If you look at um, completed home, new homes actually for sale, Jeb, I think the number is like 1.6 months right now. So actually very tight inventory. So this number was above expectations. And why is that? Partly because of that low inventory number. Um, Another one is uh, low inventory for for completed, ready-to-go homes. So they're selling a lot of the ones that they do have. But there's not a lot of existing homes on the market. Not a lot of home sellers. Builders have to sell these things, right? Yeah. And and we even,
0: I showed a chart last week that 31% of the inventory on the market is new construction. Uh, so new construction is making up a, a good portion of that inventory, a third, if you will. And, and there's a chart that I was going to put in tonight. I don't think that I put it in, uh, but it shows new housing starts. So housing starts are at the lowest level that we've seen since 2019. Um, so housing starts are, are, it's not like they're increasing, right? So builders backed off a little bit because of probably inflation, the cost of money, just different things out there. So Yes, there's new inventory coming to the market later this year from some of the new construction, but it could be short-lived um, in, in the big picture. So, um, yeah.
1: You know, Jeb, you talked about um, a week or two ago in the Cromford report, which is the Arizona market report, yep. saying that probably the hottest segment of the market, the things that were actually going up and selling the fastest, was uh, um, new homes, new homes that were available and ready to move into especially things that fell out of escrow we were talking in the fall people were backing out because they had signed contracts with much lower rates like i don't want to go under contract at this now buyers um are willing to pay for that inventory that's falling out and we'll pay a little bit of a premium for it there's two or three people saying hey want a house need to negotiate and have it done right now On top of that, builders um, are heavily incentivizing buyers. So 2-1 buy-downs, covering closing costs, all that stuff. So long way of saying, that's not like a gangbuster number, but it's a good number. And it's a good sign that we've probably seen the the worst of things. Doesn't mean it's going to go and get a ton better from here, but probably seeing the worst of it, especially if rates continue to cooperate. You're showing here, Case Shiller, uh, 0.2% month over month, 2% annually. Um, So you look at the top cities, uh, San Diego up one and a half percent, Los Angeles up 1%, San Francisco up 1%. So Jeff, we've been talking about this a little on the show the last few weeks. If you look at the numbers, numbers that you and I know are valid numbers. No one's cooking the books and you're seeing these areas where we operate in through I do loans throughout the state of California a lot in Southern California you sell in Southern California we're like where are these prices coming down my buyers are not seeing it um I know they happen I know they're real but this is pretty reflective right of of what we're seeing with buyers throughout the state of California right now
0: no absolutely and we've talked about it I mean it it has everything to do with supply right if we if we had a ton of supply on the market you know we wouldn't be seeing these uh we wouldn't be seeing these these uh increases if you will um it's it's the fact that interest rates have come down a little bit from the peak and we've got tight supply and there's still quite a bit of demand out there so it's still you know if, you, if you're in the market shopping for a home like right now chances are you know what we're talking about i mean you guys are commenting on the video in fact they just put a video out this past monday on california the number of comments in there saying, "Yes, this is exactly what I'm experiencing right now in the market," is you know, it, it just it rings true because that's what's happening in the market, and there's ch- you know, really good chance that the next report you're probably going to see something similar with a with an increase because of the amount of demand in the market. So, so um, yeah, yeah the, the next chart yeah, another, there,
1: Jeb, it's it's also Case Shiller, but I like to give a look. The infographics are great. It tells Jeb. you what happened this month, but no context. This goes back to what? January of, of 2000. Ah, goes back a long time, huh? So shows you that we had dipped and gone negative uh, month over month, and now it's back slightly positive. And you and I have talked here, Jeb, for months The story here is interest rates. If interest rates are cooperative and stay below 7%, we will bounce around that 0%, plus plus or minus, slightly up, slightly down. Um, The lower rates go, the more we're going to go up. I don't think there's really a recipe for month over month, one, two, three percent gains uh, anytime soon, but we should be able to stay positive as long as rates stay in the six and a half and below range.
0: Uh, and, And I agree. And there's a chart later in the video uh or the video in this slide deck here that basically came from vanguard um showing that they're expecting a a further decline um into i don't even remember if it was this year or next year but they're they're expecting more of a recovery in 24 and 25 anyway just an interesting chart that shows you all perspectives we're not here just showing you hey this is one chart this is what you know we think we're going to show you the other side too because again varying opinions um, coming from different places, and and Josh and I like to read all the data, listen to different people to get our own perspective on what's happening. Um, and we don't always 100% agree on everything either. And so it's just good to get different context and and you know be able to apply it to uh, to where you are in in your home buying, you know, career, if you will.
1: And Jeb, just on these numbers, just to reiterate, why do we show all the numbers? Well, new housing is different than existing housing, depending on where you're at. We wanna look at both and see those numbers. Um, FHFA and Case Shiller are good um, numbers to look at. FHFA is homes or loans that are going to Fannie Freddie. So it skews towards sort of middle of the market. It doesn't have jumbo stuff. It doesn't have cash buyers in there. Case Schiller is a repeat sales index. That's kind of the best way to measure this. So it's generally the most accurate, way better than a median price. So we kind of want to look at all of these. So FHFA here, um, up 0.5% uh, month over month, and then 4% annually. You can look at the, the regions. This shows Pacific down um, month over month. And yet we just talked about uh, Case Schiller has California, most of California up a percent last month after you know probably being cumulatively down 4 or 5% over the, the prior six months. So it's interesting info there to look at. Another view of it, Jeb here, um, is just showing the prior year versus the most recent year. So the blue lines there are 21 to 22, and then the red lines are 22 to 23. So you can see FHFA is reporting positive. Um, we had a a negative month there, but very much moderating from where it was even just a year ago which is good i mean we don't ever want to see numbers um, unless you know (laughs) unless you know that you're going to sell and get out of the market you don't really want a 20 24 25 percent year-over-year increase in home values it's just not healthy for the market um the one thing i wanted to show in there jeb this is from the fhfa fhfa u.s house prices increased slightly in february dr natalia not even going to try how to say her last name supervisory <laughs> economist in their division of research and statistics this increase was in part due to a decline in mortgage rates by more than a half percentage point from the peak reached in early november as well as historically low housing inventory i do think interest rates tell the story but that's a little off and misleading because homes that were closing last month you know, rates had already gone back up a, a little bit. We've had some volatility. You know, December and January were pretty good and February and March, not so much. So these are March closings. They had already spiked back up a little bit.
0: I agree. And I think that's more or less what I said just, uh, just a bit ago. So um, this was taking a look at inventory as we do uh, every week. So inventory increased about 2% this week. So does that mean we've seen a bottom um, in housing inventory? Hard to say. I, I think it, there's a chance. Um, but you know, it's weird because if you're looking here at Orange County, our numbers are actually less than last week. So we actually have less inventory than last week, sitting at 2,013 homes here in Huntington Beach at 136. So Orange County inventory, Huntington Beach inventory has actually gone down. Nationwide inventory went up a little bit. So I, I'm not calling a bottom in inventory quite yet, um, but I don't think you're going to see a big decline from here unless, you know, something major happens in the market in one direction or another. I just, you know, I think you're kind of bouncing along here, seeing small increases in inventory, if anything, or or small decreases, if anything, Nothing nothing major taking place. Uh, chart again just another way to show that inventory level and the reason i like this chart is it takes us back to pre-2016 just shows you where inventory was during those times and where it is now so yes we're off the bottom but relative to where we were you know in 2019 2020 i mean significantly higher just it, it's always good to have to know where you're coming from and again the reason that we saw inventory pickup we saw new listings pick up looks like we're sitting somewhere near um i can't see it on my chart because if it's covered but what what's that line uh the dark 2022 level so we're somewhere near the 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 bottom of of the april numbers in 2022 with regards to inventory so inventory again we talked about picking up this one again weekly new inventory showing 80 new th- you know, 80,000 new listings coming to the market compared to 88,000 last year. So less new listings coming to the market. And out of that, you saw, what? I don't have the number in front of me. 15, 20,000 of that went into escrow immediately. So a good portion of the escrows um, or of the the property coming to the market is still getting taken up pretty quickly just because of that demand out there. Again, um, you know, new pending home sales per week. Sales was a sales rate running 15 to 20% fewer than last year, so we've got less pending sales. Why? Why do we have less pending sales, Josh? Is it because of less inventory? Just less properties to choose from? Is it less buyer demand? Is it a combination of all of that plus interest rates? What are, you, what are your thoughts? I would
1: say it's 80% what's available. There's just less homes available. Um, and 20% is that we just don't have as much able demand. Not, I mean, there's plenty of demand. Lots of people, yeah. I mean, lots right. of people here every week that would love to buy a house and can't afford at the current prices and interest rates. So it's that combination of affordability is keeping able demand out of the market. And those that are able and willing to do it are having a hard time finding a home they're happy with and having to bid against other people for the few nice homes that are out there.
0: Agree. Uh, I, I thought this chart was interesting. Did you put this one in or I, did I put this one in?
1: You you did it. I was just looking uh, at it. I, I, I jumped ahead while you were talking,
0: ah. Jeb, and I also found your
1: chart very interesting.
0: Oh, yeah. So basically just shows uh, w- when we saw um, slower home sales, like what when we saw rates rise and it impacted slower home sales, goes back all the way to what the 70s on there. and just kind of shows you how impact rising interest rates impact the number of sales, something that we've talked about all the time. You know, when they say, you know, home sales are down 22% year over year. If you're surprised by that, it's, that's surprising to me because what you would expect to have fewer home sales when interest rates more than doubled, um, in a year's time. And this just basically goes back and shows you, you know, the different times during that happened. A lot of it had to do with, you know, them raising the Fed funds rate to fight inflation, just different, you know, impacts in the market. The one time that during, you know, that I can remember, you know, specifically and all of you guys can as well is, you know, that had nothing to do with that was basically just COVID coming into the market, which was that one right under this bar. You know, COVID happened to the market that year, less home sales just because, you know, housing was essentially closed for a couple of months in a lot of markets out there due to due to the pandemic. Uh, this one again showing uh, median home list price uh, versus the median new price of new listings coming to the market. Both of those ticking up um, as we're heading into the spring. And again, median home of uh, uh, median price of homes going under contract, pending home sales sitting at $379,500, one4 percent below last year. Nothing really significant to see there. What do we got here? this is the chart from Vanguard basically just showing they're expecting a rebound in 24 to 25 but at the trough they're expecting somewhere between I think it was a five percent decline is is what they were thinking um in the median home price and which it looks based on this chart somewhere latter 2023 headed into 2024 but they expect us to start the you know the incline from that point forward hard to say if we've had the bottom or not already. I I, I personally think we're going to see con- just slow activity in the market. What that means, it's hard to say. It means less sales for one. But like Josh said, a lot of it has to do with interest rates. A lot of it has to do with what sellers decide to do with their homes um, when interest rates are higher. I mean, we know a lot of them are locked in, but we don't know how unemployment is going to affect, you know, those that are homeowners. Are they going to have to list? How much of that comes to the market? How much of that new construction that's under contract comes to market? What does that do to supply in different areas? That's that's the question.
1: And just this hold on, before, yep. before, we move, before we move forward from that one, we talked yep. about the, uh, the CoreLogic report uh, for April. And again, CoreLogic, we talked through the pandemic about how crazy these people were. They kept talking about prices were gonna go down. So we don't hold them up as the paragon of information and what to rely on but they're projecting they're forecasting 3.7% year over year appreciation in the year going forward so vanguard here is is projecting that we're going to be negative well into 2024 so about this time next year it looks i would you say that crosses over about end of q1 2024 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, The story is going to be interest rate dependent. Jeb and I argued about this earlier today. Um, But if rates, if rates moderate, as we expect, and are under 6% for the majority of the rest of the year, um, we're not going to be negative. If rates stay elevated, go above, say, six and a half, this is a reasonable forecast. So it's not the worst number, not the best number. We like to look at them all and consider biases and past performance when looking at, uh, at who has the best numbers.
0: No, absolutely. And then this chart goes to show this is wage versus inflation. So uh, inflation or, or wages just crossed over the inflation number for the first time since March of 2021. Is that right? March of 2021-ish. So wage growth is still going up uh, while inflation is coming down. Does that improve housing affordability? Maybe for some, but not to a large degree for, for most people out there. And this is a look at weekly weekly initial jobless claims, basically just showing the number of claims, again, starting to rise. Josh, what did you want to add on that?
1: Just again, looking there, uh, that that dotted line there, everyone wants to relate a lot of numbers and look back to 2019 because it was pre-pandemic, pre-all of the Fed stepping in and doing crazy stimulus, pre-the Fed stepping in and, and jacking rates to the moon. Um, and we're just above um, jobless claims for that 2019 average. We're starting to see an uptrend and this just relates back to that is what the Fed is is wanting to say. And Jeff, the chart that you had there before that, this is really good. We need, job, uh, we need wage inflation above real inflation so that real income growth is happening. If inflation is 6% and your wage increase is 5%, you lost money. And yeah. over the last two years, we've seen that. So um, this tells us here that if we have more jobless claims, we're probably going to be slowing down in terms of wage growth. If it's uh, let more people looking for work, they're be going to be able to command less money. So That's just an element of inflation. So hopefully inflation moderates, get back into that number. You know, Jeb, you and I looked at a report yesterday that um, sort of hinted at something we actually talked about two to three weeks ago on the show. The way CPI is measured undercounts uh, housing costs when rents and home prices are going up, so it understates inflation. The Fed looked at that and said, ah, see, inflation's not a problem when housing costs were going through the roof, and they did nothing. And then it overstates housing costs, uh, housing cost inflation when they're moderating or coming down. And that's where we're at right now. If you take housing out of the equation, we are under 3% CPI inflation. So I'm not saying you can just ignore that. It is real. But what we're saying is 6 to 12 months down the line, with all of the housing numbers that we just looked at, they're going to be similar to where we're at right now. Not much higher prices, not much higher rents. We're probably going to have more unemployment, lower inflation, lower wage growth but that's going to be a much more normal economy bring us back way down on interest rates which will stimulate a little bit the real estate market but not to uh, a huge degree
0: and likely recession recession coming josh uh again chart here looking at uh all the u.s economic recessions in the past 100 years uh average was what 17 months um for the average recession anything you want to add on this chart
1: Nothing other than to say in since 1980, we've only had two that are anywhere near that long. So 81, 82, before most of our times, and then 2007, 2009, the Great Recession. So this six month, eight month, eighth month, throw COVID out. COVID was a joke. I mean, it was, it was a real thing. COVID was not a joke. The recession related to COVID was a joke. It was just a weird one time thing that happened. So I think a moderate recession six eight 10 12 months I don't think we're going to get 17 months but um they're generally deflationary disinflationary and will help sort of reset and moderate some of the the cost uh growth that we've seen so Jeb, i don't know if you've noticed here in the comment section i believe we've already had 32 questions about
0: this about this right here How about i have this uh, llpas so yeah this is good um we're going to talk about this in more detail so you want to th- save this chart separately sure and we can pull sure. it up yeah, come um, up we to- can pull it up on the screen here in just a minute. Uh, lastly, what are we looking at here? Is this the 30 this year is the spread. and the, the spread sh-
1: showing you, I mean, it's coming down, but we had this head fake a few months ago where we got the spreads down to about two and a half. We're still up over 2.8. Um, we will know the mortgage market is kind of healed and normalized when we get somewhere close to two. I don't think we're going to be back under two, um, anytime soon, but somewhere two, 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 four, um, would be reasonable. And it would get us that 30 year fixed rate in the mid fives, which would be supportive of of home values.
0: And um, where are we today? This is an idea of where we are. Yep.
1: So the Freddie Mac numbers we talk about, they release them every Thursday and they gather them on Monday. So even when they're released, they're late and out of date. This is, so that Freddie Mac data, take it with a grain of salt. Mortgage News Daily gathers these daily and they're generally pretty accurate. You know, as of today, I was running a bunch of different scenarios. Most people can do a six and a half at zero points on a standard balance uh, conventional loan. Um, They uh, skew heavily towards direct lenders. So ignore the FHA and VA at six and an eighth. Those are closer to five and a half, five and three quarters for borrowers with 640 plus credit scores, but it gives you an idea of where we're at. That 30-year jumbo, helpful to look at um, just because that spread was at least a half percent below your standard 30-year fix. Just two months ago, the banking crisis, um, such as it is, has led to a little bit of a decrease in those spreads in the jumbos. They're still better than Fannie Freddie because they're generally bigger downs, better qualified borrowers, higher net worth, that type of stuff. Um, But it's worth noting jumbo loans are a little more expensive relatively uh, than they had been. Jeff, we also had a question in here that we can actually answer. Uh, Let's
0: let's get through this real quick and get one so we can get this off the screen and get us back to normal size here. So one other chart I just wanted to throw up which was distribution of origination interest rates in Q4 so this is where interest rates sit what today um 23% or so um people have an interest rate sub 3 you got i can't see them on my on my screen the numbers are too small here let's see uh nearly 40% have an interest rate between 3 and 4 another 20% have an interest rate between tw- uh, you know 4 and 5 and then between five and six and six, you have a little bit more. So this is a little bit different than uh, the 90% we've been quoting below 5%. Um, but this was updated as of Q4, 2022. So nevertheless, you got a lot of people locked in sub sub 4%. What, 61%? Yep. 61% locked in under 4%. That's the reason you're having those issues. But Josh, I know you wanted to talk and address the question. So let's remove this. just trying to find the darn
1: thing um so here nicole jansen's regular uh viewer here says how come the adjustable rate mortgage rates are higher or the same as the fixed 30-year rate what's the point of getting those in this market i thought they would be lower than a fixed rate well right now the belief is that inflation in the short run, is going to be higher than it is in the long run. So paradoxically, like if you're going to buy U.S. Treasuries, the three I months. I can't
0: get over the fact that you look like you're on your knees, and I look like I'm standing <laughs> on a box.
1: Well, you are standing
0: on a box. Hold on, let's see. Is that better?
1: That's better. That's better. Now we can actually see. <laughs> I feel see so small behind
0: you. So uh, the.
1: If you were to go buy treasuries, a three-month treasury is gonna have a higher yield than a 10-year treasury, than a 30-year treasury. And and the reason is, the belief is that over the next three months, six months, 12 months, three years, five years, inflation is gonna average more than it will over the next 10 to 30 years. So as long as we have that inverted yield curve, where short-term rates are higher than long-term rates, there's not gonna be much, if any incentive to, to take a hybrid arm. I have seen there are a few depository institutions, whether they're credit unions or community banks, that are lending their own money that will have some type of a discount on a hybrid arm. But for the most part, there's just no point in doing them in the current market.
0: All right. Good stuff. So hopefully you guys got some value out of that first part there going over all the economic data out there. Um, you know, this past week, what did we talk about home improvements on the podcast? So if you listen to the educated home buyer podcast, you probably already talked about it. We talked about value, add stuff, things you can do to a property. You're planning on buying things you can do to a property you already own to increase property value, help with that appreciation, if you will. So if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. It is on Spotify. It is on Apple. And there's also a YouTube channel um, around the Educated Homebuyer podcast where you can actually watch the videos and listen to the content. In fact, we have more or less the whole catalog on there at this point in some form or fashion um, on the YouTube channel. So go check it out. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Um, that would be helpful for us in helping us accomplish our goals here. But Josh, let's um, let's talk about it. Let's let's back up. Big G seems to be the uh, one the night so far with the number of of comments, and a lot of it is coming from not only Big G but other people in here talking about the Biden rule, talking about LLPA's loan level price adjustments. What does it mean for the market? So instead of clicking on every single one of these questions and bringing them up on the screen. Two things. One, I filmed a video on it. It comes out Friday. I get into detail about all of this, what it means for low credit score borrowers, what it means for those with higher credit scores, who it really impacts. So check it out. It'll be released Friday morning. Uh, But Josh, big, big picture here. Does it really mean anything in your opinion? Who does it impact? Is it really as big of a story as they're making it out to be?
1: Um, It's gonna push a lot more people to FHA loans. Um, Most folks, if they were shopping with a competitive lender, like we just showed that chart, that the nationwide average says that FHA loans are three eighths lower than a conventional loan. I can tell you every borrower I've looked at in the last few weeks where either one of those is an option, it's been at least three quarters of a percent. And for lower credit scores, it's one and a quarter, one and a half percent better with an FHA rate. That's a monster difference. We used to say that if you had above a 700 credit score, it starts being worth looking at conventional because the mortgage insurance is cheaper if you have a higher credit score. Well, we also had a mortgage insurance reduction a few months back on FHA loans from 0.85% to 0.55%. So when we look at that, Mortgage insurance on lower credit scores, lower down payments, minimum down is generally significantly better on an FHA. Rate is significantly better on an FHA. So whatever in the world the FHFA, who dictates these rules to Fannie and Freddie, thought they were accomplishing, they are not going to accomplish it. We had, Jeb, a a quote here. I just, this still boggles my mind. I told you I was triggered earlier today. So we're going to read this. So this is director of the FHFA, Sandra Thompson, came out and responded to the misinformation that's been going around. And she said, the changes to the pricing framework were not designed to stimulate mortgage demand. The fees associated with a borrower's credit score and down payment will now be better aligned with the expected long-term financial performance of those mortgages relative to their risks. Now, the, the simple thing to say is bullshit. You guys are not in the loan business, and two or three of you already pointed out in the comments that literally you get a worse rate when you put more money down. There's no world in which it's riskier to a lender when a borrower has a bigger down payment, so they're lying through their teeth. Who knows why they did this, Jeb? Why don't we pull pull the chart back up real quick, that uh, fancy colored one, because what this shows, like to the right side, this is the right two columns are greater than 95 LTV and greater than 97 almost no loans are done at greater than 97. Those are things with a combined loan to value um, with down payment assistance. So over 95, cool, everyone gets a better interest rate. So 97% loans are gonna be better for everyone. But now we go anywhere from 85 or 80 to 95% and credit scores all the way down to 680, everyone's getting worse. So the red there is worse rates For the people with higher credit scores and more down and the green everyone putting less down gets better rates so there's there's literally there is no justification for this and what we're seeing jeb and i were talking about this earlier today if we had a bell curve have you ever seen a normal distribution the old bell curve from from high school and college the majority of activities in the middle of that bell curve well what we just saw there is almost all of us that are doing somewhere between five and 20% down and have a credit score somewhere from 680 to 800 are going to be paying higher rates. So they can improve terms for the 3% down across the board because very few people are doing those because mortgage insurance is high. There just aren't a lot of them done. And then they can ignore people to the left of the bell curve because there aren't a lot of loans done there either at lower loan to values. So they just hit almost everyone that's getting a loan she goes on in this um in this press release to then talk about uh investment properties and second homes well we can have that debate if fannie and freddie don't want to be in the game of financing second homes or investment properties cool get out of the game and let that be private banks um, independent mortgage banks mortgage companies but this is just silly what they've done to their LLPAs over the last year and a half, starting with the second home and investment home adjustments, and then with this adjustments relative to scores. What I can tell you is many, many, many more of you will be doing FHA loans and you're gonna see FHA volume go through the roof. So if we want to attribute this to Biden because he's the man at the top, although he probably has no idea what's going on here. Well, we have Marsha Fudge over at the head of HUD who just made things more lenient cheaper. And then we have Sandra Thompson over here at the FHA making things tighter and more expensive. All we're doing is shifting risk from something with that is in government conservatorship with a government implied guarantee to FHF, FHA that has an actual
0: government guarantee. So it's crazy.
1: We didn't help the government price risk at all. We just move risk from one pile to another.
0: All right. So there you go. Um, question for you guys out there listening. Can you hear the construction going on in the background because i'm we're sitting in a building where they're doing a lot of construction and i can hear everything coming through my side so it's kind of a pain um listening to it all in the background but i was wondering if you guys can hear it because if you can then obviously that creates additional issues but if you would just let me know in the comments because it's helpful to uh to to know what you guys are listening to uh but i'm going to click on a couple of comments here so pulse power says do you think Builders in the market will be willing to go down in price if the house doesn't appraise SoCal area. So here's the thing. Um, I've never been representing a buyer on new construction where the house didn't appraise. Uh, typically, new construction appraises. They have it's the ability. It's magic, Jeb. Yeah, it's a, a, absolute magic. But... In all reality, they have the comps, they have the data to support why one home may be sold higher than others because they can show builder upgrades or whatever the reason is. So I would say, would they be willing to? Maybe, probably, especially especially if you're using their lender, um, there's a really good chance that they might be willing to negotiate on some of that stuff. But overall, it's not even going to be, it's a non-issue because the property is going to appraise to start with. So Um, there's less even concern with it not coming in. But I would imagine if it didn't appraise, chances are they'd be willing to negotiate. But it's it's probably in your 500-page contract that you sign when you go new construction.
1: Jeb, one of the reasons for that is they will reduce the price as an absolute last resort. They don't want to have sold Jeb a model match two months ago at $700,000 and now sell Josh the exact same house, the exact same upgrades for $680,000. That's a problem for them. So they'll buy down your interest rate, they'll cover your closing costs. They will do anything to avoid cutting that actual sales price that becomes a matter of public record that becomes a comp for the next appraiser to come through. So that's part of the reason why it is very rare for new construction to not appraise.
0: And, and, and good stuff. Um, back up one, one whole question here where we're talking about the LLPAs. One thing Josh didn't mention that I remember I was kind of zoning out cause I was looking through some other stuff, but this has already been priced into your pricing. So if you've been shopping for a loan for the last 30 days, this pricing is already out there. So it's, I know it's set, you know, May 1st is kind of the date that's everything, you know, that's being reported on the media and all of that. It's already in effect, guys. So if you're getting pricing, you've had pricing, you're locked in, that's already part of it. So it's not something new that you need to worry about at this time. Now, there are additional LLPAs at the moment that are going to come in as of August, I believe, that have to do with DTI. Now, that will impact things as you get closer if you're, you know, borderline there on the DTI, unless something changes. So, but at the present time, it's already priced in. Jeff, I am am very, very
1: happy that you brought up the debt to income one, because if the current LLPAs aren't pushing enough people to FHA, the over 40 will push everyone to to FHA like it will be like because it's not a small like I I believe it's a 50 basis point hit for going over 40 it might be more than that whatever it is it's big relative to these small changes and the other thing you know we had a question here just to kind of close the loop on this big G had a follow-up said well people put less down will they ding their own FICO's this is insane no they will absolutely not because the people who haven't lost their minds are the people that have to insure these loans and actually price the risk the mortgage insurance companies so when you're score goes down and your down payment goes down, your mortgage insurance goes up and up and up. So the differences in your interest rate are pretty minimal on those LLPA adjustments relative to how much you're going to lose in mortgage insurance. Watch Jeb's video. We, when we kind of penciled out the numbers and pulled some MI numbers, you get to lower down and lower FICO's. Like no one's going to do it. Uh, a 640 credit score with 3% down and one borrower, you are never doing that loan. You're going to go FHA.
0: And it's not. It, this is more, uh, in my opinion, of a you know, a media headline. This is not making housing any more affordable. Just so you know, it, it, it sells the idea of affordability. Does it lower cost in some ways? Sure, it does. But in no way if you're stretched at a 620 thinking i don't know if i can afford this house are you going to think well that changed it i'm good to go now no not going to happen so just so we're clear um let's let's talk let's let's get off that for a moment here josh and address kim's question it says what is a lender credit so somebody's getting a lender credit what does that mean
1: think of it as reverse points. Most of you are familiar and and comfortable with the idea of paying points. So if today's interest rate is 6% and I want five and three quarters, so I have a lower payment, I have to pay one point. So the lender takes 1% of the loan amount as an upfront fee, and they say, okay, I'll take less over the lifetime of the loan in that form of that lower interest rate. They'll go the other way. If the rate's 6% and you say, hey, I'll pay you more each month by giving you a six and quarter percent interest rate, they go, cool, that's more than we need to make on the loan. We will credit you a percent at closing. And those are the general rules of thumb. We've been in a weird market over a year now. So the further you get away from that par rate, in the example that I just gave you, 6% is the par rate. They don't require you to pay a point. They don't give you any credit. The further you get away from that, the less benefit you get. Or the more you have to pay to go lower, the less of a credit you get for going higher. But in general, the rule is paying a point will get you a quarter percent lower interest rate. Going a quarter percent higher end rate will get you a 1% of your loan amount lender credit to cover towards your closing costs.
0: Oh, man. I love these because I don't really care, but I'm going to click on it. It says, Jeb, I came across a video live stream of another realtor that I suspect to have taken shots at you, calling you a reckless cheerleader. Well, here's what I would say. Go back. Just say three years go back three years on videos watch what i was saying in march april may june july every month i'm not going to go through the entire calendar here through 2020 through 2021 through 2022 up until now and fact check based on what that person was saying so i don't know who the other realtor is um but if it's a clown in uh northern california He does like one deal a year, Um, a year, a year. So let's let's not call him a real estate agent.
1: And Jeb, we've actually had three or four people here in the comments say they've spoken to him and he tried to talk them out of buying during the period of time when homes were going up 20% a year. And if they had listened to him, they would be significantly poorer. So um, the the other piece of that that I would say, Jeb, we had people starting to take a victory lap in the fourth quarter of last year. Yep, here we come, home prices are going down. (laughs) And we said, home prices can absolutely come down. It's going to be dependent on interest rates and what that does to affordability. And we're always going to continue to have the supply issue. We don't have a recipe for a massive crash. So home prices can absolutely come down and we don't have a recipe for them appreciating rapidly, but we do have the perfect storm for this sort of chop down the middle depending on what happens with interest rates.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Um, so Andre says, uh, thanks for your advice. I just closed on a house in the Midwest for 250. It appraised for 255. The cash closed was 18K, which was high, but I made it work. Thanks again. I thought there was a question there. So you're welcome, Andre. Congrats on the purchase. Um, that's awesome. He also got a rate of 6.65, he says, and he can't wait to refi. So I think you'll get your chance. Um, don't know if it's two months, six months, a year, uh, but there will be an opportunity to um, to get rid of that. I'm I'm confident in that. Platinum Black, any advice or content about buying a primary residence remotely? So I have talked about buying a property out of state before. Um, you know, it, I would say if you're there's two different types of buyers. I can't even think because it's so loud in here. <laughs> was, the, my waiting, my, my desk is vibrating <laughs> from what's going on outside. So. Um, We may may have a
1: short show tonight.
0: Yeah. So if you're familiar with the area, it's one thing, right? So I'm going to assume that, well, let's address both. If you're not familiar with the area that you're buying in, go get familiar with the area, spend a little bit of time there, understand what the market is, understand, you know, what drives that market, what employers are there, you know, what drives housing, all of that stuff, because it's important. And the reason I bring that up, you might be saying, Jeb, you're crazy. Why would I buy a house in a city I've never been to? There's a lot of people that did that over the last couple of years. They've been there once, don't really know the market. They think, hey, I want to go to Nashville. I think Nashville is cool and have never been there. Nashville's awesome, but you should go there and check it out before you invest, you know, your entire life savings into a down payment and buy a house. But buying it remotely, it's really about knowing where you want to be, right? So locations, everything, and finding a really good real estate agent that knows what you want and can guide you through that process. And somebody that's not afraid to tell you that's not the right house for one reason or another. Or when they're video walkthroughing, because I've had clients buy property remotely, you know, via FaceTime or what have you, and having an agent that's willing to point out all the bad things about that property that may push you away from buying it, But just so you're fully aware and that you're not surprised when you get there and find out that the neighbor that backs to your house is a complete slob and has got stuff, you know, all in his yard and it just looks, you know, like somebody you don't want to live beside. True story. That happened, you know, during the pandemic. My clients bought back to a house remotely that it was like that. And I pointed it out. I put my phone over the fence. I'm like, this is what you're going to live behind. Just so you guys know, they were cool with it. They still bought. They're very happy that they did. So, Those are really the important things. Lending, less important. I mean, find a professional mortgage lender, but that lender can be in your market and just be licensed in that out of state. So you don't necessarily need someone in the new state, but location, knowing where you want to be, knowing what you want in a house and having that pro are are really the things I would focus on. Josh, anything you can add there or want to add or don't want to add?
1: I don't, I, so- I would absolutely, these people during the pandemic that bought and the first time they saw their house was when they showed up. I don't, I don't know how you could do it. Like I'm, I'm a control freak. I, I get it. I could understand putting it under contract, but at least go out and see the property during your contingency period so that
0: you don't. I had multiple people buy houses, like never saw them until they moved in.
1: If it's an investment and the numbers pencil out and someone else did an inspection, walked it and you're cool. But I mean, if you have to live in it, I want to talk to the neighbors, knock on a few doors, you know, go to the restaurants in the area. Uh, It's like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom doing it, but I know a lot of people did it. And uh, that's great for them. Wouldn't work for me.
0: Good stuff. Uh, Mace, Mace says, will we ever see two to 4% interest rates again? I've been noticing the actual price of homes have been dropping a little bit, but not the interest rate. So um, Josh, let's, let's just address the first part of that question there. Um, Two to 4% interest rates.
1: So if we normalize to say under a two percent spread between the ten-year Treasury and uh, and market rates, if or when, when we're going to, but I'm saying weird, some something weird changes and we never get back there. But I expect it to get to two, probably closer to one point seven that has been the ten-year average or so. But at two percent, you need a two percent Treasury, a ten-year Treasury to get you there. We're at three four, three five right now. When inflation is hot the economy is wonderful per the fed um it wouldn't take much to get it down to to two percent two and a half percent so yeah we will absolutely have rates in the fours um if we go off of the recent history of the last 20 years of government intervention anytime anything goes even remotely sideways with the economy and when things go badly uh, awry with the economy stepping in strong and hard and staying in the market longer than they should um, i would say yes would i guarantee it would I even say like two to one odds? No, but better than a 50-50 shot that we will absolutely see him in the fours, um, probably in the, the threes at some point in our lifetime.
0: Great. All I hear is hammering, hammering in the background, just like, you know, they might as well just move into the office here. Um, Let's see. But what I would say, Josh, is that I complain all day that they should do this after hours, and I guess and then they do it after hours. <laughs> it's after hours, um, so I mean, you know, I'm one of those people that's going to complain either way. So in this situation, all right, uh, there was some good questions here. Um, Big G's asking, "Will when will inventory increase?" That is a really good question. Um, I think that you're going to see the peak in inventory here probably in the next two months um in my opinion I, I just but a lot of it has to do with rates right if you see interest rates go significantly lower you might see inventory pick up a little bit but in, in addition to that you're gonna see an increase in buyer demand so is it real pickup in inventory hard to say um if interest rates go higher I actually think that makes inventory you know um, go down to some extent, right? Because you're not going to see a lot of people want to list their homes unless like we said there's some major, you know, recession that happens that where you have major unemployment much above the 4 to 5% that that is being um, you know, uh, sought after by the Fed and I don't see a world in which that happens. So I I don't I don't know when you see inventory increase. I think it, 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 this is a situation we've never been in because people have never been you know in a position where interest rates were so low that moving you know is that much more expensive you normally had to deal with okay the house price maybe went up a little bit interest rate maybe went down a little bit so yeah the house is a little less affordable than than it would have otherwise been but nothing crazy in this situation price went up rate went up um i don't know i don't i don't have an answer for that josh
1: it's a very tough one to answer because why? Why would someone move? It kind of relates. When do you get rates under 4%? I think there's a lot of people that do want to move that if they had to give up their three and a quarter for 3.875, cool, that's the cost of doing business. But even giving up a three, three and a quarter, three and a half for a four and a half, five 5%, it's a different story so inventory requires um additional building which the, the crazy thing it's, it's sort of paradox right here jeb we keep talking about our builders going to overbuild and then have to cut prices and prices come down they want to keep prices elevated they also want to be able to build as many homes to sell at those elevated prices without causing the prices to come down so The long story short version of this, Jeb, is the government should just stay out of the way. Prices wouldn't be as high as they are. Rates wouldn't be as high. Rates wouldn't have gone as low. Everything would be on a more even keel. But that's not the world we're ever going to get to live in.
0: Nope. Um, John is back telling us both old guys are on. Last week we were young guys. Now we're old guys again. Um, KK has a question, says, my bank lender is offering a 5.75% rate for a 10-year fixed arm. Is that something that is recommended in this climate? I don't have a problem with it. I
1: mean, if you're looking at the comparison of the 30-year fixed, we showed the national average 6.5%, a three-quarter percent discount, um, and you're locked in for 10 years. Do I think there's going to be a refinance opportunity in the next 10 years to maybe get a 5% or a 4.5% 30-year fixed? Absolutely. So I would take the discount. This kind of relates, Jeb, to another question here. Um, Dina was saying that... She- she is going through a bank and the bank told her they don't have LLPAs. If it's truly a bank and they're loaning their own money and they're not going to um, sell that loan in the secondary market, they don't have the LLPAs. They can do anything they want. Um, we recently lost access to one of my favorite lenders, which was a credit union. They didn't have any any LLPAs, the old ones or the new ones. Um, they've shut off all lending because their cost of funds is too high and they have more mortgages than they want in the current environment. So we, we kind of talk about Lender money can do whatever they want. They can discount that 10-1 arm. They can not have the LLPAs. So we talk about when you're going to shop for a loan, it's never a bad idea to check with uh, a credit union, to check with a local bank. Sometimes they're awesome. Sometimes they're not. Um, And and there's more to it than just absolute rock bottom lowest interest rate. Hopefully they can advise you and guide you along those lines. But if they're loaning their own money, very different than the majority of stuff we talk about here that's going to Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA.
0: And a follow-up question for Dina, or actually a question that came prior to that. She says, if uh, I'm conventional now under contract, could I change to FH- FHA to avoid LLPA? So ask that. I mean, let's just not, let's take Dina out of the question. If you're under contract now and you're getting hit with these LLPAs, can you change to an FHA loan? I mean, I guess this is a two-part question. We can ask from the mortgage side. We can ask from, from the real estate side. Uh, But on the mortgage side, does it typically transfer over from one loan to the next? So we would have to get FHA appraisal has some requirements that are not required on a conventional
1: appraisal. So if the appraisal has already been done, we might have a cost to upgrade the appraisal to meet the FHA requirements. In your situation, if you're getting a loan from a bank and the bank is legitimately loaning their own funds and doesn't have any LLPAs, they probably don't do FHA loans. So if you're with a lender that doesn't do both, it's not as simple as switching. If you're with a broker. I, almost all of my lenders, not all of them, but almost all of them do both. So if we have your loan in process and it's already placed with the lender and it's in the underwriting queue for conventional, fairly easy to switch it to an FHA. It'll cause a day or two delay, but you may literally have to switch lenders if it's a bank and they don't offer FHA, which a lot of them don't.
0: And then on the real estate side it could or could not be an issue depending on the the type of property that it is um if it's a condo it's not fha approved that can change um you know the timelines on on that loan getting approved it can mean it doesn't get approved at all depending on whether or not you can get a spot approval on that particular unit if it's not you know fha approved in addition to requirements of the property like Josh said with with it being um fha not all properties meet FHA requirements when it comes to an appraisal. So talk to your lender. If you're in that scenario, talk to your lender, have your lender, I mean, as well as your agent, have them talk together. And then you might need to talk to the other side as well, just to make sure everybody's on the same page and you're not surprising anyone by changing the type of loan. um, Because obviously that's a violation of the contract in which in turn they could basically, you know, you know, cancel and move forward, uh, with another type, you know, another deal if they wanted to. So not at least here in California, other States, the contract might be written differently, but, um, here in the state of California, you tell what type of financing you're doing. Therefore, if you change it, that can change things. So hopefully that is helpful for you. Um, Jessica, one of our regulars on here asked the question, um, of uh, what are some of those responsibilities roles of an agent if you purchase a new build. So they're essentially the same as as an, an existing construction, although there's less control in, in the situation of a new build. But, you know, the agent still has to, you know, help you review disclosures, help you, uh, you know, get the inspection, review the inspection, decide how you're going to respond, um, you know, working with your lender to make sure that the process still moves timely make sure everybody's on the same page so it's a a lot the same um but i would say with new construction you have the chance of probably less hiccups coming from the selling side just because you know um, other than maybe time delays on the actual building of the property but with regards to everything else it should be pretty smooth for the most part um but much the same i mean that the process shouldn't change a lot just because it's new construction although it, it'll be a it just be a little bit different but for the most part all the same josh uh is there a good reason to retire your mortgage if you have a two and a half percent interest rate so we've talked about this a little bit um getting towards the end of retiring you have a low fixed rate mortgage you know should you pay it off should you keep it what's the benefits? You know thoughts the biggest
1: benefit is a simple life if you don't want to deal with making a payment every month if you don't want to figure out how you're going to get greater than a two and a half percent return on your money elsewhere um, it's pretty easy to do in the current market. It won't always be. Um, you can always push that decision off later. You could buy you know, a three-year CD and get more than your 2.5% um, and make that decision a little further down the line. The argument for not doing it is just remaining liquid. It used to be there were some tax benefits at 2.5% and with a loan that you can write a check and pay off, probably not super significant uh, interest write-offs there. Um, so you can make an argument for it. Uh, just what does that do to your liquidity? I've seen people do it and then be upset four years later when they needed some money for something and had to go do a mortgage at a higher rate to get their money out. So consider your situation. Um, It certainly can be argued for, and there are certainly situations where I would say absolutely not. But uh, without seeing your finances, it's hard to say.
0: Do you ever see people comment in the comment section that have no idea what they're talking about? (laughs) Yes, you do. Okay. I just want to make sure I wasn't the only one. Um, Anyway, uh, Gabe says, got my first and only home through FHA loan in 2021. Goes on to ask the question, will the PMI ever drop off? So Josh, PMI, FHA, how does it work?
1: FHA is on it for the life of the loan, unless you put more than 10% down or got it more than 11 years ago, which in your situation is not the case. You got it uh, two and a half years ago, two years ago. So it's on there for the life of the loan, unless you put 10% or more down. And even if you put 10% or more down, it falls off automatically at like 11 years. You can never ask to have it taken off. Um, In my view, not a big reason against this loan, most people will either sell or refinance out of it well before they hit that time frame you know the last few years skewed people's perceptions of when they can get rid of mortgage insurance it is not normal to have 8 10 12 14 annual appreciation where you can get rid of your mortgage insurance in a year and a half um i think the record would we have uh freddie down in san diego got it done in like seven or eight months after buying the house. normal um when you look at it, I would just account for it in your interest rate, interest rate plus mortgage insurance. So in your situation, Gabe, you're at 0.85 when they you originated your loan, it's down to 0.55. For the new ones going on the book, it's not that big of a deal. 0.85 is real. Like even if you got a 275 interest rate, which a lot of people did with that mortgage insurance, it's about three and a half percent, which is still an amazing interest rate. So rather than looking at and parsing out Interest and mortgage insurance, and saying I hate this. Look and say my effective rate is three and a half percent. This is a wonderful world that I got to get into my home for so cheap. Um, I, I wouldn't count that as a reason against FHA. You know, we had a, a question in here, Jeb, when we were talking about people getting pushed with these LLPAs and and those changes getting pushed to FHA. What are the downsides? Many people will consider that with a minimum down, with less than 10% down, uh, mortgage insurance being on there for the life alone as being a downside. To me, it's a non-event. Most people are gonna move or refinance out of that, you know, somewhere three, three five years down the line. So I, I don't generally think in terms of that. The one thing that I don't love about FHA loans relative to conventional loans is the upfront mortgage insurance premium. They're gonna add 1.75% onto your loan to finance an upfront mortgage insurance premium. But other than that, the FHA loan is is a really, really, really good loan. And there's ways, if you want to, we can get a lender credit to cover the uh, the upfront mortgage insurance premium, and you're still going to have a lower interest rate than what you would have uh, on a conventional loan. So just make sure you're working with someone, That does both and doesn't have a bias or a reason in favor of one or the other. I don't care. To me, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. We input your information into our loan origination system. We run it through an automated underwriting software and we collect the documents that it says we have to have for the file. So um, just make sure you have someone that's doing both and doesn't have an agenda to tell you, hey, I only know how to do FHA loans, so you should do that. Or, hey, we don't offer them, so conventional are, are the best option."
0: All right, good, good. Um, Let's go here. I saw a question that was, um, Fred says, where are these 6% interest rates coming from? Just got an FHA loan from my lender, got a 5.5%. Got it down to 5.15 by buying one point at closing. So Josh, interest rates change daily hourly in well, some cases so were interest rates in the mid fives um in fact you showed me a video a, a quote today from fha showing around five and a half percent on a scenario yeah. so
1: yeah yeah so uh, F- fhfa fha we talked about the stupid fhfa earlier fha is not a problem five and a half easy you want to pay some points we'll get it into the low fives well
0: i um i think he's referencing that clip that we had on the screen earlier that showed fha was at like 6.12 or something and we talk about this.
1: I have no idea why, but here's why. People get hung up on what channel you're getting your mortgage through, a bank, and, bank or a credit union, other depository institution, a mortgage company, or a, a broker. The people, like a lot of the banks and credit unions just don't do government loans, FHA or VA. Uh, um, large banks, the direct lenders, they subsidize their conventional loan rates with really high interest rates on their FHA and VA loans. So when you see these national averages, that is big national lenders, mortgage companies, not depository institutions that charge more than they have to. Um, Any broker you call is going to quote you numbers similar to what Fred is seeing there. So um, from that perspective, FHA and VA, I would lean heavily towards um, you're probably better off in the broker channel. If you're looking at a conventional loan, it's going to be very similar or between her and uh, a, a broker. And this is painting with broad strokes. I am sure there are direct lenders out there that don't do this and are very competitive on their FHA and VA, but that's why you see national averages quoted that high.
0: Do, do Are you guys hearing, like, is he like going in and out occasionally? Not Not, it's just randomly. Let me know in the comments because I hear you and then for like a second you're gone and then you're back. So I don't know how it's actually coming through the other side. I assume it's coming like that, but just want to be sure. Um, David says, seeing new home builders offering fixed rates at 5%, even a little below in some areas, how are they able to offer these better than market rates for new inventory? So Josh, we've talked about in the past, uh, builders being able to potentially offer a little bit better rates in some cases, uh, how do they do that?
1: So historically they don't, they have terrible rates. Um, they force you to go and get approved with their lender. They want control of the situation, but they're not willing to pay uh, in terms of better rates to have that control. It's a very volatile market. Um, They want the control of the situation. So they will subsidize and pay to keep you in that transaction, to have the control of the transaction, to make sure you're locked and you're not subject to interest rates moving around. And when you have, let's say you have a subdivision that you know we're going to have 100 homes available in this 60-day window you can buy a forward commitment and that is worth more in the secondary market so there's multiple ways they're getting at it but primarily they're paying for it they're losing money it's a subsidy to gain the control and make sure they're going to get that construction loan off their books as soon as that home is finished being built
0: all right so josh the consensus is your lens sucks your microphone sucks and now your internet connection sucks so i we appreciate you here ben but you're gonna have to step up your game uh with that said guys we've been on an hour tonight uh so far got another hour ish to go um would appreciate it if you find any value you hit the thumbs up you share us with a friend somebody that's buying a house uh, mention us mention the show here on my channel go over to the educated home buyer youtube channel subscribe uh, like those videos, watch them. Um, check out us on out the podcast. However, you listen to that content, we would be forever grateful. Um, you know, we enjoy providing the information and hope that you guys find value in it. And uh, you can show us by doing the things that I just mentioned. So, uh, and then something I haven't mentioned in the last couple of episodes, but I do want to mention is happy to connect you with a real estate agent, real you know, a mortgage professional anywhere in the country. So you know, we're in Southern California. You can be anywhere in the U.S., and we can connect you with somebody that you know we know, like, and trust that can guide you through the process, that handles transactions like Josh and I do, um, and you can get there through that referral link below. Josh, have you fixed yep. your mic?
1: I don't know. I don't know if we fixed it or not, but did you know that there's no cure for stupid?
0: There's not, and I mm-hmm. see it because I continue to see ridiculous moronic comments coming through the uh, – the comment section that just makes zero sense and that aren't data backed. It's amazing. Um, anyhow, let's do this. Uh, Kim says, what am I drinking tonight? So I, I, I have a bang. I drink one of these a week on the show. That's when I do it primarily to get a sponsorship. They haven't reached out yet. So I'm, I'm a bit sad with that. Um, if they send them to me, I would probably drink more of them, but I don't, Josh is uh, dealing with high blood sugar now so I'm not sure he's going to be able <laughs> yeah. to drink anything but water he's getting old so it's, we've we've got we've changing. got a little little h2o with some element in there and
1: uh, just so you know Jeb is the only person on the planet that can drink caffeine like, large Hi. doses of it, not like a Coke, like crazy bang about drink, five yeah. minutes and then go put his head on the pillow and fall asleep. And Good not story. only that, sleep well. So we both have a whoop strap and we're in a group that measures everything. And Jeb wins every week with the highest sleep performance, despite the yeah. fact that he's drinking caffeine at six o'clock at night. And if I did that, it was seven, seven a.m.
0: before I fell asleep. One night a week, dude, that's it. So Josh is dealing with high blood sugar. I've got two hernias, I find out today. Guys, so May 11th. May 11th's the big day, guys. Surgery. Hernias are going to be fit. – I'm going to be as good as new. I don't know what to tell you. I've been dealing with pain for like 18 months, so I'm coming back with a vengeance, guys. A vengeance, I tell you. Anyhow, side note. We got off track. Darren had –
1: an important question. He wanted. Yes. You know, he, said he thought the educated homebuyer podcast was the cure for stupid. Well, then that lets you <laughs> only some, if you, some, you actually some people aren't watching.
0: Only if you trust the data in there um and the information given. You know, like that whole "you can lead a horse to water" quote. This is very much the same. We're trying to lead the horse to water here by giving you know the place where you can find the information that you need to to make sensible decisions. Not everyone's going to do that. Uh, Bearded Vato. Smash that like button like it owes you money. I like that. I like it a lot. Um, Yeah, exactly. Two hernias from carrying the podcast. All right, here we go. Uh, Let's see. Oh, and Shay basically came out and told Josh that she's a female. Just so you know, you've been... Calling her a little one too time.
1: she's she's a little bit bigger than anya and dina but only five two so apparently we've cornered the market on short in stature females
0: hey i told i see i i thought the whole time female and i was wondering why you were going male i thought you knew something i didn't clearly you didn't josh you were just I, I know no, i know nothing you were misinformed uh here's a good question we we didn't really address this earlier but for a second home i can't do fha what is uh what is now the requirement how does biden mortgage rule affect this so llpas how does that affect a second home are there additional hits for that on top of credit scores and all of that josh or is it primarily just around credit no 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 No, we
1: got we got new llpas last year for investment properties and for second homes we went from it used to be uh second home you had to put at least 10 percent down the pricing was the same as a primary residence so these wizards said hold my beer we got to fix this so (laughs) let's go here second home you can still do it with uh well it looks like they now have where you can do it with uh 5% 5% down, I'm going to go back and look at the guidelines. The matrix doesn't necessarily match up with the guidelines, but the matrix shows a hit even at 95 at four and an eighth. So anything with less than 20% down is a 4.125 hit. So we go back to Kim's question earlier that one point is generally equal to an increase in rate of a quarter of a percent in interest. Four points would be a percent, but in re- the real world, it's closer to a percent and a half difference in in interest rate and in the real world, because lenders don't want to pay up for that, you're going to pay for that loan. You're going to be paying points to get it. There will not be such thing as a Fannie Freddie second home purchase without points. Now, if you went all the way down and you wanted to put, uh, let's see, 40% down, you would only pay one and an eighth points more, but even at 75, it's two and an eighth. So for the most part, On a second home, if you need to go Fannie Freddie, you need to put at least 25% down to get a decent interest rate. It's still going to be a half percent above the market. So that's a situation where we would want to look um, at other lenders. Uh, We've got other options that don't sell to Fannie and Freddie that are happy uh, at 20% to take those off your hands. And some credit unions are still doing them with 10% down with no LLPA. So if you're in that space, you definitely want to look at what your options are.
0: Good. Good. Uh, Dina has a quick and easy question here. When's the next meeting to determine if rates will go up? It's next Wednesday. It's the third. Um, so they're going to meet Wednesday. And then I believe CPI data comes out the following Wednesday. So the next two Wednesdays prior to our show, uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Um, so it'll be interesting. Nonetheless, uh, Perna, uh, Pernama, Pernama, Pernama what are the top five things to look for in my contract? So that's a difficult question to, to respond to because it's different for you know different states. The contract varies a little bit. Uh, but I would say, assuming that you are working with your agent in filling out the contract, you should know most of what you should know, um, if that makes any sense at all. But I think the main thing to be aware of is you know, when is your escrow deposit, when is your earnest money deposit no longer um, refundable? Do you lose any money by canceling the contract? That That's really what you need to pay attention to and what you want to know. Because other than that, if you go under contract and you cancel, as long as you get your money back, do you really care? It In some cases, you know, maybe you've wasted a little bit of time, but if there's no money gone, then you're more or less in the same position. So I would say that's the main thing you want to pay attention to, but you you should already be aware of the price that you're offering, how much money you're planning it on putting into an earnest money deposit, because these are things that you should be discussing with your lender. Uh, you should know how many days until you're closing. You should know how long you have to do your due diligence on, on that purchase, um, as well as what you're asking the seller to pay, as well as what you're saying that you're going to pay in the process. Outside of that, most contracts are, you know, boilerplate, templated, templated, templated? Template documents uh, that very little of the verbiage language can you change. So, you know, those are really the things I would focus on. But a lot of, again, a lot of that should be addressed prior to you signing the contract. Therefore, you know, you uh, you should be in good shape.
1: So Jeb, we, we yep. have an interesting debate going on here. Much better right. than LLPAs. Kim says she heard the watermelon flavor was the best. Dina says, hmm, watermelon. And then Michael comes back in with cherry blade, lemonade, or purple hay. What are we talking are about best. here? Well, I be- I was I didn't are, know whether uh, they were asking or about yours? element or bang. So um Michael, I believe, is talking about bang. Um but I don't know. The girls may be talking about Element because the watermelon Element is really, really good, but not as good as the Citrus Blast or whatever the heck tastes like old school Gatorade.
0: There you go. I, and I'm not a Gatorade guy, so I, I don't, I, you know, there we go. I, I have nothing. Bang. They're talking about Bang, bro. Bang. They, they want know, caffeine I, at 7 I, I p.m. Like, I like the Star Blast or whatever it was, but the I don't even like peaches or mangoes quite frankly but I like the peach mango so here we are white gummy bear rain is the best white gummy bear rain that sounds like something you would take at a rave
1: (laughs) I do before (laughs) every rave
0: all right there we go um Josh how many people were successful in the dream for all through you did you get any through
1: Uh, we have one that is approved that we are working its way through the system we had another one that was the lock was requested and prior to the lock being confirmed they shut the program down so 32 applications one person got under contract
0: and locked and reserved all right um pulse powered is flood insurance for new homes necessary so josh can speak to this a little bit Um, it's not necessarily for new homes it's for areas that are in flood zones Right, So FEMA has a map um, that shows different floodplains, if you will, flood zone A, B, blah, I don't know if it's A or B, but I know flood, plain, flood zone A is is like the big one. Um, but if your home falls in one of these flood zones, if you will, then the lender is going to require um, some form of flood insurance. And the reason I said Josh could speak to that is because he lives below sea level and has flood insurance
1: yeah and the funny thing is these flood insurance companies are crazy when we moved in i think it was eight or nine hundred bucks a year and it crept up crept up crept up to almost two thousand and then one year we got a bill that says it would be fifty five hundred dollars i said wife we are moving so uh, one, one of our neighbors also got one of those notifications and uh, pointed us in the right direction and, and someone did an elevation cert. So if you're in an area where you think that your flood insurance is too high, contact a flood insurer that will do the elevation cert for you. It'll generally reduce the cost a, a good bit and looking for the private uh, flood insurance versus, uh, is it FEMA? Who, who does the flood insurance? Whoever, the NFIP. It's FEMA.
0: Yeah, it's FEMA
1: so whatever it's not fun so uh if at all possible i suggest not um doing that jeb actually sold someone a lot uh of a home that was in our flood zone that uh was burned down and they mistakenly took the house down and now they can't rebuild and so
0: let's let's tell the whole story here or what i know of the story because this could be completely untrue but um so quick story Here in Huntington Beach, you know, there's a big portion of kind of where Josh lives that is um, below sea level or sea level at best case, right? And so what happens is falls under flood zone A, this one particular house, nice little cul-de-sac, pie-shaped lot, great little area, um, happened to, uh, I don't know if it caught on fire. I don't think it caught on fire. I think they were going to rebuild it. So they tore it all down except for one wall in the house, and we're going to remodel the house. Well, because what happens is as long as you leave one wall, you're you're essentially you fall you get grandfathered in to to city code and being able to do all of these things. Well, if that wall comes down, well then it's considered a new build. New zoning, new all of this crazy stuff comes into play, you got to get permits with the city, you got to get permission from the city, all the stuff. Rumor has it that one of the neighbors that didn't want them to rebuild came and pushed the wall down. Therefore, the wall was gone. And so now it's a new build. So these people fought it to try to build there, couldn't figure it out. I don't know what happened. They ended up selling the lot. I ended up, my client bought the lot, had it for a couple of years. I ended up selling the lot, going to the city to try to figure out how they could rebuild there. And what I, it was a lot of red tape because it was um, zoned flood zone a the city of huntington beach was basically like it's an unbuildable lot because of you know the the flood zone all of this crazy stuff we ended up selling it somebody bought it and i think i last time i drove by it was still an empty lot josh is it have you been by there uh
1: six eight months ago okay i've been by there probably since then but not recently. very very
0: vacant yeah so anyway just something to be aware of fun little story um, what? Which one has cheaper closing costs, Josh? A HELOC or a cash-out refinance? Um, the the HELOC, most banks and credit unions will do them at
1: no cost. Um, if you go, like people will reach out and they ask me, "Can you do a HELOC?" Yes, yes, I can. Um, and unless they have a unique situation where you need to go to high LTV. Uh, lower credit score, something outside the box. You're going to be better off going to a bank or a credit union because they're going to offer slightly lower margin and they'll generally do them at no cost. And if they don't do them no cost, call a different credit union, a different bank. Uh, they should do it. And on that topic, credit unions are generally more aggressive in terms of loan to value and that type of stuff than the banks are. The banks got super restrictive. They got burned really bad in the last downturn. So uh, I would highly suggest checking with the credit union and if they will make the loan to you, um, it's going to be cheaper, uh, always cheaper than a cash out refi. I mean, we can do a no cost cash out refi for you. But again, most people are at rates significantly lower than where the market's
0: at right now. All right. World Trekker says adding approximately 160 square feet for $100,000 or less, but will sell the house in 20 years. Is that good ROI, NOC? What you should do World Trekker is listen to the latest episode of the Educated Home Buyer podcast where we talk about value adds to property. This is one of those things. Adding additional square footage to your property, in theory, is increasing the value of your property because it's more square foot. But it all depends on how that square footage is being used, whether somebody finds value in that square footage, is it an additional bedroom? Like, what is it? Because, And each person's gonna look at it a little bit differently um, in that 160 square feet. And, and here's the thing. Cost to build it being $100,000, adding 160 square feet. What's that? $700 a square foot to build that? It's expensive. Um, You know, is it worth it in 20 years? Who knows? I mean, I think in 20 years, you're probably going to forget what you paid for it and what you did. And it's just, does it provide value to you now? That's really the question. I think it's less about the money and what you're trying to get out of it. And how is that 160? square foot 40 by 40 going to impact your life does it truly give you value if it does then does it really matter what it costs at the end of the day because i think that's that's the key because you have such a long-term time horizon or long time horizon i don't know that the 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 cost really plays into it in my opinion um
1: Jeff, we've got a similar question. Let's just yep. stay on that topic. Having a new house built in California for $497,000, I'm putting down $240,000. Will I have good equity when I move into this home? So a couple things there. By definition, yes. if the property is worth what you pay for it, you're going to have 50% equity in that property. So you're going to owe 257, dollars and hopefully it's worth 497 dollars or more. Um, what Where you can run into issues, so you're having a new house built is the builder building it and they're responsible for the construction loan because if you're on the hook, you can have cost overruns, you have carrying costs through that time frame and it'll eat into that. But anyway, you cut it. You're putting a massive down payment down. Yeah, you're you're going to be good.
0: All right. Uh bankroll TJ, what do you think of a seller paying down points for buyer for a buyer and assisting with their other closing costs? I think it's great. If you can get a seller to do it. Uh but also understand if a seller is willing to pay for your closing costs and buy down points. They're also willing to probably lower the price and you're able to buy the house for lesser money. So you have to think, do you want that sunk cost paid for by the seller where you could be refinancing in a couple of years anyway, or had you rather have the lower price of a home? It's up to you, right? It's to each his own. I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. Really just depends on where you are and, and what you're trying to accomplish. I think the majority of people, if you believe the interest rates are going to be lower i'd rather get the house for a little bit less money because you're you know here in california your property taxes are based off that price you know your monthly payments based off that price there's a lot of things based off that price and having it lower it may not be a significant amount lower but lower long term impacts everything else so my thoughts on that
1: it's your money one way or the other no one's paying it for you it's we're we're financing it look at it this way you're financing it or not because exactly as jeb said it's your money. They're not just giving it to you out of the kindness of their heart. Hey, I'd like $10,000 less at closing. Let me pay this for them. They're saying I would take $10,000 less, but if you'll pay 10 more, I'll give it to you to do with as you wish.
0: We got platinum black going with the, was that Reagan tear down that wall? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They tore down that wall. Um, Anyhow, uh, here's a good question. Um, Joey, says uh any upcoming economic indicators that could affect the mbs market and mortgage rates so i think we have pce on friday yep. um which could have an impact um it's kind of one of those things that they're not paying so much attention to at the moment especially since cpi is coming out next wednesday Um, uh, but cpi is really the big one that i think is going to have an impact more so than anything else but you got jobless claims tomorrow um, we unemployment the, uh, April, next Friday.
1: They, yeah. The April employment report coming out next Friday. And then what yeah. you get the fed meeting the week after that and CPI the week after that, those would yeah, be the so
0: big, big ones coming up. Yeah. And they're, they're, you know, Barry Habib, which we've quoted many times on the show. Um, not, not the end all when it comes to, uh, interest rates, but somebody that we follow closely and, and smart dude seems to think that May 10th, when the CPI, data is released. I said CPI is released next Wednesday. That's not true. Fed comes out and speaks next Wednesday. CPI is the following week. But seems to think when May 10th, when that CPI data is released is when you'll start to see shelter and, rent and inflation numbers adjusting uh, because they're lagging indicators or lagging data, if you will. And when they're reported, it's going to show a bigger than expected drop in inflation and in turn, improve rates. So the next two to three weeks are going to be um, interesting, as we said.
1: Part of the thing that I don't like, Jeb, is I, I you, when you said that the Fed is next week, I was thinking they were the week after, which is after the employment report. They're really looking closely at employment. Now, if they're releasing their findings on Wednesday, this has happened a couple of times recently, and they swear that they, that they do don't not know. get an advanced look at that. I have a hard time believing that. Um, that they're, they're not getting an advanced look at that uh, employment report, but uh, I guess- And here's the thing
0: report. is right now we're in the blackout period. So none of the Fed members are actually speaking. So we don't know what the heck they're thinking. Um, I looked up today, Fed probability at the moment, 70-ish percent, 75-ish percent. I can't remember the number exactly, um, are expecting an, another quarter point um, rate hike in May. 23% are expecting- 23, 25, whatever that number is expecting us to stay where we are. And then when it moves to June, uh, the large majority, I think it's 50, 50% are expecting us to stay at that that quarter percent hike. 20, 30% are expecting us to be where we are today. So 80% are expecting no more hikes at that point, which is essentially that, that pause that people have been talking about. So um, yeah, the Fed's actually coming out earlier than the data, which... I don't think is the you know it, it it's all predetermined, so it's not like hey strategically they could do anything differently, but it it just kind of sucks that they're not ladder um to be able to see the the actual data come out before making the decision uh...
1: do we do we want to um discuss the topic that does not get discussed Um uh-huh. Now, truckers. Next question. You don't want to go
0: there. Uh, I, I I didn't see it. Hold on. Let me see. Let, let's address this one real quick. Is there a 55 yeah. plus community in SoCal where I can buy the property under my name without adding my parents into title? I don't understand the question. Um, I
1: don't.
0: So, Thank are you. you? Are you? Are your parents going on the? L- I don't understand. So, Alex, help me out with what you mean by that. There's a lot of 55 and year old plus communities um, where you don't have to add your parents to title. So, um, not sure. In fact, you don't have to add them to title ever, uh, if you don't want to, but let's, I don't think that's the question. So let's help clarify, Josh. I don't know what question you're talking about, but let's, uh, solar. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. What don't you like about having solar? Most people in SoCal and San Diego are putting them, um, San Diego gas and electric raised the rates. So Josh, Shall I go first or you want to go first? Uh,
1: So here I can tell you for Jeb and I, we live in Huntington Beach, coastal Orange County. Um, I have air conditioning. We use it maybe 20, 25 days out of the year. It's very nice when we have it. Um, My utility bills are really low. I have the world's greatest solar roof. It's like um, my wife, when we moved in, said it is perfect for Santa because he's got the world's biggest landing strip. Um, So with that, it faces the sun. I can throw solar up there but it's going to be ugly as sin so for me that is one reason Um, i don't know if you guys have seen google project sunroof you can plug in your address you can plug in what your average bill is and it'll tell you um, how much sunlight you get how big of an installation you could put on there and what your repayment period is every time i've looked at it it's like 30 35 years before it would break even i'm not putting a horrifically ugly thing on my house that i'm going to be 85 years old before i break even um, combine that with, I've seen multiple neighbors in my neighborhood who have thrown up solar only to have the people back out 10, 15, 20 times to repair the panels, repair the the leaks to the roof, all of the things that would have never been a problem without it. So cost versus benefit is very, very minimal. Now, that being the case, if I lived in Rancho Mirage full time and I ran the air conditioning 200 days out of the year, 20 hours a day, uh, it would probably change the calculus for me. Mm -hmm. I just think that most people get excited and think they're saving the universe and don't actually run the numbers to find out how long it's going to take for them to actually benefit. Jeb, on top of this, I had a, a meeting with a loan guy, loan officer at an industry event last year, and they built this really cool little tool that they could look this information up as they were walking and knocking door to door. He had salespeople knocking door to door saying, Hey, we'll do a refinance. We'll put the solar on. Here's how much you save between interest, this, that, and the other. And he explained to me that like, this is something you absolutely have to shop. Like they can price it however they want. Most people just go, Oh, that's what solar costs. Is This You can put a $60,000 installation in that costs you $20,000 that the person could have got for 25 grand if they'd called someone else. So do your numbers check with multiple sources and see what you can do to get the number down but if you're in an area where you have a high utility bill that's two three four hundred dollars a month it can absolutely make sense
0: yeah i I don't really have much to add to that it it comes back to cost benefit analysis um i I get the idea behind solar i think it's great i think the idea is great if you have a high utility bill if you're running you know you're, you're heating your pool all the time um jacuzzi you're running the air conditioning all the time you have an electric car like all of these things at once, right? That, that for me is a reason to have it. Um, I think the large majority of people out there aren't doing all of that. And what what I see is, you know, for example, this is, I'm making up these numbers, but somebody's utility bill is $250 a month and they're paying $250 to solar. Like they feel like that's a good deal. And for some, okay, maybe that's a good deal to you. To me, that's a break even and no reason to put solar on my house because, it involves a contract for, like Josh said, 30 to 35 years in some cases to pay this stuff off. It makes selling your house a nuisance in some cases. You know, those solar panels are only warrantable for like 10 years. And guess what? What happens when they need to be fixed? You have to pay for it. Um, and, and when issues arise and when you have to replace the roof, those have to come off. And I know some contracts will take them off one time um, in order for you to redo roofs and that sort of thing. It's just I don't know. It's just more than I want to get into. And I think the technology is advancing. I think that, you know, the cost is going down. I think it'll be a lot less expensive in five, 10 years to do this sort of thing. So for me, I don't see a huge benefit, but that's it. Sorry, that was really long-winded way of getting to um, the the same answer. But uh, for some people, it's right. Some people, it's not. Uh, most, uh, Alex comes back and said, okay, I don't want to add my parents into title. So could you name some SoCal 55 community that I could buy under my name and let my parents live in there is the peacock at Oceanside. I have no idea if peacock in Oceanside is one of them. Um, so here's the thing with a lot of 55 year old communities, the, the property just has to be occupied by somebody that's 55 and older doesn't have to be owned by somebody 55 and older. Now some may have the restriction that you have to be 55 and older to own it. That is where if that's your question, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but in in Southern California, you have communities like Laguna Woods, um, you know, different communities where you can buy these units, Laguna Woods. I'm not sure if you have to be 55 or not. I just know you have to be 55 to live in there, and like if you can't have kids and that sort of thing in these communities as well. Uh, But a lot of times you can buy it for your parents and not have them on title. But I don't know the answer to your question per se because I think each one of these communities is going to vary a little bit. Uh, But if you're looking in a particular area and you're looking for something specific, let me know. Happy to connect you with an agent in that market that knows that area and can guide you. Sounds like you may be in Northern San Diego. If that's the case. I can put you in touch with somebody that knows that market. So reach out. My information is scrolling there. You can use that link at the bottom. Um, and you go on to say that most fifty five require owner to be fifty five plus i I don't know if most require the owner to be fifty five plus or the occupants to be fifty five plus. that's that's the the caveat is the the occupants in many cases. but I could be I could be wrong with some of those. Uh, Kim, what is, when and what topic is the next podcast? So that's a good question, Kim. Uh, today we recorded gifts, um, buying a home, using gifts, where that money can come from stipulations on gifts, how it can be used, everything around getting a gift to buy a house in some form or fashion. So we're recorded today. In theory, that comes out next Tuesday. The catch got a lot of questions around LLPAs. We might be recording a podcast tomorrow. Um, to talk about LLPAs in more detail, more so than we did on today's episode that, in, that we might replace that episode with. So one of the two. If not, gifts will be the following week. So just so you know. Josh, you see any questions here? Where are we? 6.30 in. We're 6.30 in. 87 likes on the channel. If you're finding any value, hit the thumbs up. If you're not subscribed to my channel, How many people in here are not subscribed? That's what I want to know. If you're not subscribed, let me know. I just want to know. I want to know who's not subscribed because I want to see if it's a a regular name. Um, But I find that hard to believe. And Rich says, are you guys on Apple Podcasts? Yes, we are. We are. But we're also on YouTube. If you want to check us out on YouTube, check us out there. Josh, where do you want to go?
1: Um, here's a, a question, um, Keto in the midst, and I could be wrong, but I believe this is a new subscriber to the podcast, um, but uh, comparing Chinoa Fund, CalHFA, GSFA, down payment assistance options, any thoughts on the overall program advantages I qualify for all three, but don't have rates from lenders yet for comparison? Um, they're all going to have above market interest rates, so there's nothing for free. Um, GSFA, I'm not all that familiar with, but CalHFA, they're gonna give you a second and or a third. So you end up with a above market interest rate and a second and possibly a third mortgage against your home. For obvious reasons, I don't like that. Chinoa has an above market interest rate that subsidizes you getting in. So what I always tell people is, if this is the only way for you to get into the market, I'm okay with it. I would be more wary in the current market where we don't think that prices are gonna be appreciating nearly as rapidly as they have for the last 10 years. Um, What I would love to find out is if in the price range you're looking at if there is any way you can come up with your own down payment, because generally you come up with the down payment we can get you a lender credit, a seller credit to get you in with just the down payment at much better terms with no subordinate financing than those options. So um, I would love to hear, um, if you wanna reach out once you get the numbers from the other lenders, I'd like to review them. I, I'd love to see, we don't. We just don't do GSFA, um, Chinoa and Cal HFA, I'm not a huge fan of unless it's your only option to get into a home.
0: Awesome, all right. Um... I don't want to go down a rabbit hole on this, Josh, but I do want to address the comment, not a question, uh, around Arnold saying that two more rate hikes will bring home prices lower. So we know that one uh, rate hike is essentially built into the market for the most part. We've been hearing about it since, hell, I don't know, last couple of months for sure. Right? Um, So what are your thoughts on rate hikes lowering house prices? Does that have anything to do with house prices?
1: What? what mechanism would the fed and the terms that they set for banks lending money to one another have an impact on home prices we've talked about this before the fed does not set mortgage interest rates the market sets mortgage interest rates based off of inflation expectations so the market looked and watched that inflation was high and increasing and staying persistently high the fed looked at the same data and said we need to stop that we're going to start hiking. So at some point, it would be pretty wise to believe that that's going to work. We believe it already has started to work. So when inflation starts coming down, mortgage rates will start coming down when they believe inflation has peaked and is decreasing. So a Fed hike does nothing other than confirm the market's belief that the Fed took this seriously, stepped on the brake, stepped on it for too long, just like they stepped on the gas and stayed on it for too long. So it is more likely to lead to lower interest rates and higher home prices. So it's an interesting thought, and I understand kind of where you're coming from or why you might think that, but it is the exact opposite of how it works in the real world.
0: All right. Uh, KK clearly wants this question answered because they have posted it in here more than one time. So I'm going to address it. Uh, it was in the list to get to get to rather. Um, I'm in the northeast and we're seeing a 25 percent increase in sales prices from last year. That seems high. It seems very say. high. It seems very high. Um, and I'm now targeting a multifamily condo as I think it's a safer risk with today's climate. Would you agree? I would not agree. Um, I don't I don't. The two aren't correlated um, in my opinion. A condo multifamily isn't any more safe than a single family home. In fact, I think you probably have less buyers of a multifamily than you do of a single family home if you went to sell it, just depending on cap rates and that sort of thing, getting into a whole different conversation. So I don't know what one is safer than the other. Um, one is probably less expensive, and or more expensive. Condos is probably less expensive than a single family. Multifamily is probably more expensive than a single family. So um, I I think it's all about buying when it's the right time in your life. Again, not, not getting caught up in tops and bottoms in markets, not getting caught up in what Josh or Jeb is saying about where the market's going to be. Can you afford the payment? Are you comfortable with it? Do you have money in the bank? Do you have job security? These are things that you need to think about. Stop worrying, in my opinion, about, where you see the direction of housing going. Just my two cents. And that's not meant to like, you know, to 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 be taken as, you know, a derogatory or, you know, comment or, you know, towards you. Cause it's not, it's not that at all. It's just too many people are caught up in things that don't matter at the end of the day. Um, and, and not focusing on the things that do. Josh?
1: No, uh, that's...
0: I'm not looking for anything there. Just
1: no, be, be very careful in terms of. We know that the Northeast is has been much stronger than most of the country, so definitely we're not doubting that home values have gone up. I think 25% is very aggressive. I'd be surprised if it was double digits. You know, eight to 10% would be a, a high number. But yeah. in terms of those types of properties, um, generally condos are more like the tech stocks, where they're more volatile. Um, people prefer a single-family residence. Um, they're you know they're more liquid than multifamily. They're preferred over condos, so. As Jeb said, affordability may be there and be better, but I wouldn't necessarily think it's a better investment or going to do better for you over the long haul.
0: All right. Two really good questions here. Um one, one is that is one is from Rich. Rich says, is a oh no, that's not it. Sorry. Sorry, Rich. Your question's not one that I was thinking <laughs> Your of. question will not get answered. <laughs> no, it's is a HELOC variable. It is. Uh home equity lines are are variable. Just think,
1: think in terms of this, it's a line of credit. No one is going to give you a line of credit that you can borrow against and pay back, borrow against and pay back and not have it variable because that makes them exposed to the interest rate risk and you being able to borrow when it's beneficial to you. So yes, a line of credit will be variable.
0: So sorry, Rich, didn't mean to rain on the parade there. Uh, This is the question. Hola, El Mundo says, what is a par rate? Josh, question. We talk par rates all the time. Lenders talk par rates without really explaining it. So I think it's a really good question to address. It's essentially the zero point interest rate. So the lender is not requiring you to pay points
1: to get that rate. They are not giving you a credit for taking that rate. So on any given day, the par rate is the rate that they want to lend at. If you want a lower rate, cool, you pay them point, 1.2 points, which is one or 2% of the loan amount, a half point, whatever the number is. Or as we talked earlier, I believe Kim was the one that asked the question that if you're willing to take a higher rate, they'll say, cool, we're going to make more money over the life of the loan. We'll pay you a half point, point 1.2 points. Uh, that that percentage of the loan amount to help you cover your closing costs and get in with less cash out of pocket so when rates are high and likely to move lower um, not a bad idea to do the premium rate, you're already paying a high rate. So if you can afford it, take the premium rate, have them cover your closing costs so that that way you don't have any sunk costs in the loan when you're likely to refinance in 6, 12, 24 months. On the flip side, if you think rates are low and likely to go higher, and this is the best it's going to get, then it can make sense to buy that interest rate down by paying points. But the par rate is generally your zero point rate that you're not paying for or getting a credit for taking.
0: All right. Uh, another good question here. If you've never rented or owned before, how do you know how much of your income you should or could spend on a monthly payment? Good question. Um, I think it's going to be different for each person, but what I would do if I were in that position as I would start with a budget, write down how much income you bring in, write down all of your expenses, you know, how much do you take home out of that amount? Right. And then from there, how much do you spend on groceries? How much do you spend going out? How much do you spend on gas? Childcare if you have kids, all of the things that you spend money on. How much money do you have left? You know, how much are you putting in savings, right? Every month? What are you comfortable out of what's left spending on a on a payment? Can you cut some of those things that you're spending money on to put towards that rent payment so that you can pay a little bit more if you're not able to get what you want with the budget that you have? Those are that's really what you have to think about. Um I, I I think it's foolish to say that you should use twenty five percent or thirty five percent or forty percent or because for each person it's going to be different. It's going to be it's going to vary depending on how much you're putting away into savings and retirement and different things. And you know your net every month is going to be different than somebody else's net making the same exact money because of how you distribute that income. You know when it comes to you that paycheck when it comes to you. So you know and, and B. Give yourself um, you know some some wiggle room there. Don't don't be married to a house. Don't be married to an apartment and renting it. you know give yourself some some room to uh, to have some money to do other things. That would be my opinion. Um, Josh, let's let's address this. Uh, we we addressed it up front, but it's a really simple way to address it. Here is what are your thoughts on the new law being effective? May first, higher income credit score borrows will pay higher fees. What are the benefits of having a score over eight hundred? Uh, we talked about this earlier in the show. Lynn, um, kind of started the show first ten or so minutes talking about this in a little bit more detail, or maybe it was a little bit after that. Anyway, at the beginning of the show we we talked about it. So go back and check it out. Um. These fees that you're talking about are already in effect. So the May 1st date means nothing. All lenders are already pricing this stuff in. Josh, what does it mean? Are there a benefit of having an 800 credit score now?
1: Um, not really. So we talked about before, 740 and above would get you to the highest tier. Well, they added two tiers now. So 740 to 759, 760 to 779, and 780 and above. So you want the absolute best terms, get to 780. Um, On top of that, mortgage insurance improves all the way up to, I believe the maximum. So the higher you can get your credit score, the lower your mortgage insurance rate is gonna be. Um, The benefits are pretty marginal above 800. 800 will get you the absolute best terms. There are at any given time in the market, let's say there's lenders out there that kind of specialize in middle of the road borrowers, moderate FICO borrowers, they may pay a premium or an incentive for those 800 credit score loans. So you're getting a subsidized interest rate so they can throw those into their pools of of average borrowers and bring up that weighted average FICO. So there can always be benefits, but in terms of the loan level price adjustment specifically, no benefit above and beyond 780 you <laughs> Um, 780 and 760 to 779 are priced pretty similarly. That 740 to 759, which previously got you the best terms, it's kind of punitive there. So you would want to be 760 or above, 780 and above if possible. Uh, 800 will help in terms of the mortgage insurance. And if you're in the jumbo market or a non-QM loan, where they're obviously um, looking at their weighted average FICO in their pools as well, those lenders will pay premiums to get those better borrowers. So there, there's a benefit to it. Not not huge, uh, especially if you're not in into that jumbo or or non-QM space.
0: Uh, GG follows up, says for the densely uh, economically illiterate folks like me, are there any professionals that help with budgeting? So, uh, you know, Dave Ramsey's kind of the guru on this. He's really conservative on budgeting and that sort of thing. But I think outlining of budgeting and getting the concept and the importance and all of that probably the best out there, um, at least in putting it into, to, you know, video and, and book and what have you, uh, what's his book, the makeover book, Josh, do you remember total money makeover, total money makeover, great book for it. Um, probably a good place to start. Uh, pretty, I mean, elementary to, to some extent, uh, but really good information kind of tell you importance of budgeting and, and really kind of, help guide you as far as people directly that you can hire or do something with. I don't know. Um there's enough apps out there, Mint and some of these others that you can use to to help set with budgeting. But I think Ramsey's probably a good place to start. All right. Um Fred, uh, are you guys seeing new build homes dropping in price more than existing homes in Southern California? No, I'm not really seeing any that's, homes. That's, drop a, false, in that's price. a false
1: false premise, right? The premise is homes are dropping. Which one's dropping more? Yeah, I didn't to cut you off, but go go in that direction, Jeff.
0: No, I, 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 yeah, I'm not really seeing a lot. I mean, we don't have a lot of new construction here in Orange County where I am. Um, there's some in Irvine, some in Mission Viejo, South Mission Viejo, uh, but overall, not a lot of you know here you go out to San Bernardino riverside some of those maybe you have a little bit more i would say in those markets maybe if there's a surplus of of supply in those then maybe the new homes are 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 dropping a little bit more but overall i'm not really seeing a lot of reductions in home prices unless the home prices were overpriced to start with uh yeah, that, that's really all I have. I mean, I, I've seen a, a couple of new construction properties come to the market recently. And the only reason they've been on the market is they have some weird stipulation. Like, you know, um, one uh, had tenants in the property until like October, right? And so property has been sitting on the market. It's not new, new construction, but it's like a year old. Well, it's not selling. Why is it not selling? Oh my God, it must be overpriced. No, there's tenants in it. And when you buy the property, you got to take the tenants on until October. Guess what? Nobody wants to buy that. Nobody wants to deal with having to get tenants out of property, especially here in California, where tenant rights are, um, you know better than than owner rights in many cases. So just take it with some 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 context. i don't I don't think you're seeing a lot of reductions overall just because of where supply is. I started the show talking about Southern Cal- Orange County real estate. We have two thousand and thirteen homes on the market when I started the show. That's the lowest number that I've reported on this show this year. I saw it under 2,000 once, but it had creeped up before before we actually got to the day where I reported numbers. So I look at it every day. Today's the lowest number of homes I've seen since the beginning of the year.
1: Jeb, we talked yep. about if we could get chat GPT trained to answer all the questions. Like Dude, joc- I see it popping Jeb. up
0: on my right here. What's going on?
1: Well, I found here that we Michael De La Torre has listened enough that now he can answer the questions for Hold us. On. He has some suggestions here for for budgeting. He's got The Money Guy Show, Humphrey Yang, um, Dave Ramsey, although outdated uh, advice, Graham Stephan, Ramit Seti, I will absolutely second that one. Um, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. He actually has a show right now on, uh, on Netflix. I can't vouch for the show, but I can tell you that uh, his information and advice is really good. So Michael, so, thank you for answering. For so us.
0: On, so with the plugin that I have, like I just clicked on a, a, um, a question and it says in the top right, like the corner, it's like generate, let jet chat GPT respond to this. And so the question is, let's see whose question it is. It's Fred's. Are you guys seeing new home builds? Does it say more than that? Uh, cause I can't see the question cause it came up. And this is what it it came up with. So it says, "Thanks for watching and leaving your comment." (laughs) Can't see. Hold on, hold on. I'm trying to try to get back to it. Copy response and close. We're just going to post it and see what it says. Are you seeing new home builds dropping in price? Okay, so it didn't get the whole question. Only got part of it. But here's Jet GPT's response. Say. Oh, it's like, it's like a, like a freaking paragraph. It's like dude. a
1: book. You wrote It's a book. What do you, what are you doing here? You're, you're spamming our, our comments I know. Right here. Thanks
0: for watching and leaving your comment. Yes, we are definitely seeing a rise in new build homes these days. It's an exciting time for the housing market as developers and builders are working hard to meet the increasing demand for housing. New build homes come with a range of advantages. First and foremost, they're brand new, which means you'll be first to live in them. That fresh, untouched feeling can be really appealing. I'm not going through this whole thing. So the really long answer that we
1: just gave you is that (laughs) GPT is a long ways away from replacing... uh, Yeah,
0: they're they're not replacing me. Um, Anyway, that's uh, that's where we are. So been on an hour and 50 minutes, guys. Uh, We appreciate you. We appreciate the support. It is my son's 11th birthday today, and my wife has ordered him food. His favorite food is orange chicken... Orange chicken from Panda Express. I mean, I don't really eat orange chicken from Panda Express, but when I did, I remember it being delicious. Uh, So I have been summoned to go pick that up. Um, It has been ordered. So with that, Josh, we are going to be exiting the show this evening. Um, But I would like to say thank you to you guys who show up every week and support. Next week, we're going to have a lot of data coming in. Um, Again, we got jobless claims tomorrow. We got PCE on Friday we got the Fed meeting next Wednesday. All of this stuff is going to impact rates, which in turn impacts impacts the direction of housing. So make sure you're here next week. Um, if you're not listening to the podcast, uh, listen to it. Um, there's a lot of valuable information on there that we don't cover here. And it's in great detail. We're on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Like the video if you find any value in it. Um, Josh, final parting words here tonight.
1: Um. Next month is is going to be interesting, just the economic calendar. Um, want to see, I, I think it'll be a, a strong jobs report, but hopefully moderating a little bit, the Fed can see that uh, the impact that they want is coming into play. They're going to do a quarter. Hopefully they don't do anything crazy or say anything crazy in there. They're going to stay elevated for a while. Um, for a while longer than what people expect. Um, But we should also see the shelter costs moderating in the CPI numbers. So again, this time next month, I think we'll have a better handle on where interest rates are and how the market is adjusting to that. And that will tell us the direction of the second half of the year in terms of home prices. It's not a crystal ball, but give us a good indication of where it's trending.
0: Awesome. And thank you to all you who wish my son a happy birthday. I will show that to him. He will be happy. Um, one thing I didn't mention, but David mentioned it. Uh, this show goes on the podcast every Friday. So if you missed it here, don't want to watch our faces, but want to listen to it, you can go check it out there. Uh, but until next Wednesday, guys, Josh, this is your cue. Adios. And via con Dios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.